after the king has settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord said, the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. I will provide a place for my people Israel. I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdoms forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me, and your throne will be established forever. And Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Well, good morning, Anchor Northern Beaches. It's great to gather with you all. My name's Aaron, if I haven't met you before. As James said, I'm the student pastor here. Just wanted to say before I begin, I've been feeling super grateful this last week. In fact, this is last term for the opportunity and blessing it's been to be a student pastor here. I really don't take it for granted. So I just want to thank you for, um, for your generosity and, al- and allowing me to be set aside to apprentice myself, uh, myself under James. It's been an awesome blessing. So thank you very much. I really appreciate it. It's good to be back in the house. If you um, went with us last week, it was a slightly smaller crew, and that was because our gospel community, Queenscliff Gospel Community, which is if you're new to our church, or if you're checking us out or checking out spiritual things, it's basically a smaller group of our church. We were down the south coast at Kayama, and we just had an awesome time away, hanging out together, doing life, having meals. Um, got some happy snaps to show with you all. There's a cafe, um, some good chats. And uh, we also had some pink flamingo board shorts worn. Next, next uh, slide there, James. Yeah, so uh, some uh, interesting games we played, those pink flamingo shorts, there's just something about them. It was just awesome. So I just want to thank you for those of you who stepped up in terms of serving while we were gone. We're really grateful for that. 
Well, I'm not always super, super excited to preach. Like, I am usually pretty excited. But in particular, this week, I've been feeling really expectant about this message. Um, That's going to be a message that will comfort and also convict us as we rest in one of the most lavish promises of God to us. And so would you pray with me as we enter in? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here in this room with us. We thank you that you want to meet with us through your word. We thank you what you want to encounter us. You want us to fill us afresh. You want us to rest in this amazing promise. And so, Lord, before I begin, I just stop now and ask you to come and be at work powerfully. Um, I ask for you to speak through my mouth. I ask, God, that you'd be, uh, that your spirit would be uh, just moving powerfully through this scripture. I pray for those in this room, God. I pray that this would be a word of nourishment, of refreshment, of joy. And so, Lord, now we just come into your presence and ask for your help. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if I could ask you what your top five stresses in life are, what would they be? Family? Work? Relationships? Can I guess that in your top five stresses right now is something to do with money, but more specifically is something to do with a house. I got this from the kids' room, one of their props. Sorry, kids, one less toy to play with there today. It's probably no shock to us that the median price of a house in the Northern Beaches is $2.5 million. The recent 2021 census found that in the beaches, 35% of us own a home outright, 35% own a home with a mortgage, 27% rent, and 3% are in other housing scenarios. And so whilst there's a range of wealth in this room of us today, a common denominator is some kind of form of stress about a house, about a home. The question could be, can I buy a house here in the Northern Beaches? Well, the question could be, will I ever pay off my house that I've bought? Well, the question could be, will my grandchildren ever be able to buy a house here in the northern beaches. All of this is to say is I think there's a deep ache in the human heart, a longing for a house, a longing for a home, a longing for somewhere where we can rest and be replenished, a longing for somewhere we can, where we, we can be safe and secure, a house. If we look at the whole storyline of the Hebrew Scriptures and ancient Israelite texts that we just heard read, what followers of Jesus call the first or the Old Testament we see this plot line of humanity longing for a home. Humanity is given a home in the Garden of Eden, but then are left longing to return to that home when they find themselves out of it. Yahweh then promises Abraham and his descendants a land and a home. God's people are then oppressed in the land of the Egyptians, but then miraculously delivered out of Egypt and across the Red Sea to be given a home and a land for themselves. And in the next big chunk of the story, God's people are wandering through the desert, looking to find the home that was promised to them. The passage we just heard read from 2 Samuel 7, which is also found within the Hebrew Scriptures, is a story also about a house. The word house is the word bayit, bayit, which can mean house, temple, home, or dwelling place. And it's repeated throughout chapter 7 at least 11 times in that reading. This is a story that starts off with a deep sense of longing about a home. We're going to be covering 2 Samuel 1 to 7 today, but particularly chapter 7. 
It's important to remember that 1 and 2 Samuel is in the form of an ancient Near Eastern narrative. This is why we read such a large chunk of text, and it's also why we're covering seven chapters at once, kind of, in, in some way or form. And so it's really important that we remember it's a narrative, but also remember when we listen to these words, we're actually traveling over, the, if I can speak metaphorically, into the ancient world and customs of the ancient Near East. The last message we heard was way back at the end of 1 Samuel, but now we're in 2 Samuel 7, which seems like a huge chunk, but the reason is as well, is that the reality is 1 and 2 Samuel are actually one book, it was one scroll, which is why we're doing both at once. So we've just hit the end of 1 Samuel, we've just heard 2 Samuel, it's actually just about to reach its high point at the start of 2 Samuel. If we set the scene a moment for 1 and 2 Samuel, when we look at the story of 1 and 2 Samuel as a whole, we see this word house, dwelling place mentioned throughout. It's used at least 36 times in chapters 1 to 6 of 2 Samuel and a further 133 times in the whole book. The story of Samuel thus far in the background has been this story of confusion, of war, of division, of infighting, where the people of God has, have been longing for stability, longing for a home. If we cast our memory back to chapter 1 of Samuel, the book started with a barren, snot-filled woman, woman going into the house of God, crying out for a baby, and yet a rival of hers, a tribal rival, challenged her and provoked her about her desire for a baby. The Israelites have been constantly attacked by this rival tribal group, the Philistines. They asked for an earthly king to sort themselves out, but that king, Saul... He turns out to be no good. He falls from grace and he goes crazy. And Saul ends up caring more about his own house than about the house of God. And so at this point in the story, Israel, God's people, they're still longing for that sense of home, stability and rest. Which brings us to the start of 2 Samuel. It continues to become apparent in 2 Samuel that one of the reasons why God's people have not yet found home is that they've actually failed to honour and think about the home of God more than their own home. They've been too focused on themselves. Remember, up until this moment, Yahweh, Yahweh's home, the Ark of the Covenant, which is basically like a small wooden-like coffin box, has basically been chucked around like a footy between the Philistines and, and God's people. It's been chucked around. It hasn't been honoured. Although we don't see the word house in every chapter from 1 to 6 of 2 Samuel, we see it in the background because, after all, what is a house, a temple, or home? It's where someone lives, yes, but more than that, it's actually someone's most personal space or personal presence. The physical place of a house is meant to point to the personal presence of the one who lives in that house. And so this is the link for a lot of the first part of 2 Samuel. What we start to see more clearly in 2 Samuel is that unlike other kings who cared more about their own homes, David starts to really care about the home and the presence of God. And the more he humbles himself before God's home, but before God's presence, the more he rises. You could say he rises as he falls. In chapter 1, David, because he cares deeply about the presence of God on Saul's life, laments Saul's death, even though Saul had been trying to kill him. In chapter 2, uh, David asks God in God's presence to where he should move next in terms of his kingship, and God guides him. In chapter 3, David's house goes stronger and stronger, and yet Saul's house grows weaker and weaker. Why? Because David starts to care more and more about the house of God, whereas David's descendants continue to look to their own interests. In chapter 5, 
David doesn't make himself king, but is elevated to become king by the people, which is really significant when we realize that David was anointed to become king when he was 16 years old. And yet he's waited all this time till he's a 30-year-old, till some other people have anointed him as king. And perhaps most clearly in chapter 6, David humiliates himself for all to see. Humiliates himself. When he rescues the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, God's home, he rescues it from the Philistines. And when he rescues it, he literally dances in his undies to celebrate that God's presence is back. And when Uzzah is brought down for not humbling himself by touching the ark, presumptively, David is horrified and realizes that they need to sacrifice lots of different things to make sure that God's presence could be properly transported across. And so perhaps there will be a king who cares about the home of God, which lands us at at chapter 7. At the start of chapter 7, King David is in his palace and everything is pretty well. You could say he's sat on his palace, top floor, got a schooner over VB, things are good. But it's at this point when he has this big realization, there's an unfair living situation. He says to his friend and his prophet, Nathan, common in the ancient Near East, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Now, this is a fairly normal start to a narrative in the ancient Near East. A king would often seek permission from their deity to basically claim their, their divine call to their rule. But they'd often do this for their own selfish reasons, so everyone could know that the God was on their side type thing. Kind of like Trump appearing outside of a church with a Bible, or on the right, Biden saying, or on the left, rather, Biden you know, saying a prayer uh, politically. But here it seems David has genuine humble concerns about an unfair living situation. He admits his house of cedar is way better than the house of God, which is in the, literally a tent. Now, cedar was a local Lebanese wood, which was basically uh, very, very valuable. It was used to build temples and palaces, and that's where David was living. Kind of think of Norfolk pine trees, like really nice wood. But the Ark of God, like literally where God was meant to live, has merely a curtain draped over it. In the Hebrew, it's literally a curtain. That's it, the God who made everything. It's kind of like having a celebrity over to your house and having them sleep on the wooden floor with just like one sheet over them. It just doesn't feel right. And so David has a lot of humility here. He, he realizes there's something wrong. There's an unfair living situation. What's the number one blockage of revival and renewal, according to Jonathan Edwards? Pride. And what is pride? It is caring more about your own presence, more about yourself than about God. What we see in periods of renewal is people who humbly and hungry seek the presence of God above all. And this is what people are saying about the Azri revival, people who care and, and are more considerate about God's presence than anything else. In periods of renewal, we see people more concerned about God's house breaking in than about their own little mansions and their own little building projects. And so David asked Nathan the prophet to build a better, God a better house, a better house, And Nathan confirms his request. Perhaps there will be a king who will truly care about the home and the presence of God. At this point, though, there's a really big surprise in the story. That night, God speaks to Nathan in the form of a dream or a vision. And he asks um, Nathan to tell David this, I haven't been in a house since I rescued my people out of Egypt. And I haven't asked for a house from any of the leaders of my people yet. Now, God isn't saying there's, any, there's anything wrong with living in a house. He, he prophesies in verse 13 that a house will be built. But he seems to emphasize that he is the one who is ultimately going to build this house. 
Here's the one who's going to initiate this building project. Verse 8, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. But Yahweh then goes on to give a huge promise that would change the lives of God's people forever. And we see several I will statements from Yahweh. Have a look, verse 10, if you've got your Bible there. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as I did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. In an age of constant war, and conflict, this, was, this would have brought immense peace and comfort to listeners in the ancient Near East. And Yahweh then prophesies that Solomon, David's son, will build a house, a bayit, for God's people. A house for God's people and a house for God, both. A house where God's presence and God's people will reside together, where heaven and earth literally overlap. Now, careful readers will notice in verse 14, um, something weird is said, at least to us Western readers, it sounds like God is mean, is punishing the son of his. But to ancient Near Eastern readers, they would have understood this God is being really personal. He's actually interacting almost in a way like a human. This is a God who will personally come alongside, interact and dwell with his people. And so here is the radical surprise in this story. You want to build me a house? But I tell you what, I want to build you a house. God wants to build his people a house. For many of us in the Northern Beaches, a key tension in our narrative, in our life story, revolves around a house, a home. Only the tension that drives our life story is actually about our own living situation, not about anyone else's. We call it a housing crisis because our expectation has been in Australia that this should never happen. The Australian Anglo-Saxon story, at least, has always been that this is a land of plenty where we should always have enough to spare. The sad expectation has been, I think, from this misinformed Latin phrase, terra nullius, empty land, which has basically told us there's nothing here, so we should be able to have whatever we want. We should be able to dream, have our own dream house with a backyard, terra nullius, let's have it. And ever since the Industrial Revolution, when we shifted from a feudal system where only the upper class owned land, there has been a shift to desire our own land. Prior to this, Industrial Revolution, capitalism, there wasn't even a desire to own land. It's crazy to even conceive of that, isn't it? And yet this is the point of renowned history of economics pr- professor Robert Helbrona. Only since the growth of capitalism have we been on the rat race for profit, gain, and property. And this is one of the key tenets of the political doctrine liberalism, the right of individuals to acquire property and not have anyone take or or harm their property. But there's an even more unique housing narrative, I believe, here in the Northern Beaches. The narrative goes that it's really hard to live here, but once you're able to buy a home and pay it off, you are living the dream. Like, life will be perfect for you once you get your own home. And so we hustle as much as we can to get this this permanent place in this land of milk and honey, And some of us do buy homes, but then we're actually weighed down by the anxiety of debt, of rising mortgage payments, or of whether our children will even be able to live here. And those of us who have paid off our homes are shocked to realize that there are actually many other anxieties 
that come up in our lives. Like the house may be paid off, but our marriage may be on the rocks. Or we may not have any friends anymore. Or we may just simply be depressed. And so in our housing narrative of the Northern Beaches, many experience this, this phenomenon of buying and owning a home, but not giving it, not get letting it, uh, not providing them that the hope and the security that they hoped it would. And so our worrying about our own house above anyone else's house leaves us afraid, worried, and anxious. More conscience, more conscious of God's presence, of absence, God's absence, sorry, rather than of God's presence. I grew up in a small uh, cottage town, Manly. Not, not really a cottage town, but a small little cottage house um, in Manly. And so I must admit, I had a pretty good growing up, considering my dad grew up in Manly Vale, working class, and my mum grew up in Egypt, Alexandria. But can I tell you from my own personal experience that we had a fairly nice home. I, I, I think it's okay to say this. And yet having that home did not bring the utopia, I think, that we were told it does. We had one home on the Eastern Hill Manly. We moved into another home. And the reason that we did, we had to move into this other home that we had a little bit earlier. And the reason we did is because the, ha- the people that were in it before us sadly divorced. And sadly, um, in that street, a street where people would die to have houses in this particular street, I know of several couples, unfortunately, very sadly, who've divorced in this street. I and my parents would be the first to tell you that, of course, having a physical home, it's great. It's amazing. It's a gift from God. Absolutely. But it doesn't bring the lasting rest and security and stability that we all actually long for. Uh, we sold our house, our, our first house, in the in 2010s. And I remember seeing my dad stress a lot about it. And I remember thinking, oh, dad, don't stress so much. Like, seriously, it's, it's going to be all right. But looking back on that, I can see I was just a bit of a young punk. And I know I still am a young punk in many ways. But at least now, as a, as a young married man, I can start to appreciate the, the stress that housing brings. I mean, Alara, my wife, and I, we're renting, just like a lot of people. And um, although I haven't traditionally kind of worried about this, recently I was on a solo retreat, and I realized how I just started to be consumed by a stress about uh, money and, and possessions. It just creeped in. I started to more care more about my home than about God's home. What's remarkable, though, for us who live in the northern beaches, but also more particular for those of us who follow Jesus, is that we're invited to a bigger story, a bigger housing narrative. Yahweh's promise thousands of years ago continues to us today. And the biblical story is the true housing narrative that is actually going to feed our housing angst. And so this morning, church, I want to suggest that in this story, Yahweh, the same God, that we just heard read, is saying to you this morning, I want to give you a house. I want to give you a home. I want to help you to be planted, to experience stability, and to experience rest. Have a look at verse 10 and verse 11. Profound, profound words. And I'll provide a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Now, don't hear me incorrectly. I'm not saying that God is promising you a house on 
the, the, the northern beaches, North Narrabeen, North End. Go pick it up. The keys are at the back, just back here in the little green room. That would be good, wouldn't it? But um, it's not the case. Our God is a God of provision, yes. But what God is promising here is actually the true home that we're looking for. Not a physical home, but a home where God and humanity can both find home together. In the words of 4th century North African father, our church father, Augustine, quote, In this house, God's people shall everlastingly dwell with their God and in their God, and God with his people and in his people. God filling his people, his people filled with their God. And so the home God wants to promise to us this morning is not a home on North Narrabeen Beach, although that would be awesome, but it's an image that God wants us to have, an image of, of us being safe, secure, stable, loved. A physical new heavens and earth where God's presence will perfectly dwell with us, what the New Testament calls the kingdom of God. And this story, as supported by many church father readings of Scripture, points not just to the home Solomon will build, but the home Jesus will build. Jesus built his home amongst us, John 1 tells us. And Jesus is in the process of building and redeeming his house on this earth to give us a beautiful home in his presence. Jesus is the house. Jesus is the home. Jesus is the dwelling place that we all long for. Hear Yahweh this morning say, I want to give you a home. We believe here at Anchor Northern Beaches that we have a call on the community, a vision statement, and it is to invite everyone to find home. And so I can't keep going in this sermon without inviting you to find home. Yahweh is saying, saying to you this morning that I want to give you a home, rest in my presence. And yet also, in this moment of housing anxiety, what is our call of the, as the people of God? Three things. I believe God is calling us to, firstly, stop stressing and start resting in the promise. Like there is no need to anxiously live by the rat race house narrative when we hear God saying, I have already promised you the home that your heart is aching for. Like surely we don't have to stress and worry as much as we do. Like don't hear me wrong, we will save our money here in this church, we will work hard at our jobs, we will try and buy property if we can, of course. But surely in light of this promise that God is giving us this morning, we don't have to be weighed down by it. Now, surely we are free to be a people who care more about God's house and God's presence, knowing that he will provide for our own. To be like David, who, if we read on the story, sits with profound rest and gratitude in the presence of God. Notice David's response to Yahweh's promise in verse 18. He goes and sits before God's presence. And one African scholar notes that he calls himself a servant ten times. He's literally overwhelmed in the presence of God, just thankful. Thankful that he's been promised the home that not only he's been longing for, but all God's people and all people in general have been longing for. So Anchor Northern Beaches, would we rest in the promise? And also, church, I believe God is calling us to practice detachment, not attachment to our earthly homes. The ancient monks and church fathers, they commonly spoke about this principle of detachment. Detachment was the practice of not being too tightly held on to the worries and concerns of this life, to find time to remove ourselves from the rush of feelings of anxieties, 
about things that ultimately don't matter. The ancients knew that this current home was not their final home. And so would we be a people who practice detachment, who don't hold too tightly onto our dream to own physical, a physical home or physical land, even though there's nothing wrong with, with wanting that? And the Anglican Archbishop, he recently said, what is one of the greatest challenges to the church in Australia? And he said, one of the greatest challenges is actually to do with our wealth. Now, I know some of us here are incredibly generous. In fact, a lot of us are. And so I want to say thank you for being so generous with your money. And yet, what if, us were some, what if some of us were so crazy that we would give up the opportunity to buy a house here in the Northern Beaches so that we could reach people in the Northern Beaches here? What if, us, what if some of us sacrificed that dream for the sake of the kingdom of God? Now, there's nothing wrong with owning a home. And what we see actually in Acts is that people owned homes. That's where they, meet, they met in often. But you know what we also see in Acts? People being so stupid, like to us, it just seems so stupid. Why would you do that? So stupid as to sell their own homes for the sake of the needy and the poor and the church. And what if we were radically generous with the way that we used our homes and our possessions and our property? But also Anchor Northern Beaches, I believe surely in light of this promise that we're invited to have a humble, restful and peaceful way of life that points to the true and beautiful home that is to come. You know, the early church monk, um, Basil the Great, he thanked his friend um, for messaging him. And his friend messaged him via, it sounds like a messaging via email, but, you know, wrote to him. He, his friend wrote to him and said, Basil, I love how you live, not where you live. Basil wrote back and said, thank you. Thank you for commenting, not on where I'm living, but how I'm living. And what people say the same of us. You know, imagine how we could live as people radically abandoned, not to our own homes, but to God's coming home that is breaking in to this earth. You know, Peter wrote in 1 2 Peter 2.5 that we also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so we are the house that points to the house to come. You know, church father Augustine, he also commented on this passage saying that by living virtuous lives and by God helping us to live virtuous lives, we point to the house to come. And he quotes, for unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And so, Anchor Northern Beaches, what are the top five stresses in your life? Are you worrying about a house? Because Yahweh this morning is saying, I want to give you a house. I want to give you the place that you're longing for. I want to give you the place of rest and the place of stability. Stop stressing. Seriously, relax in the promise. This is to you. Hear the words of Jesus. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. This is the promise to us here at Anchor Northern Beaches, to the people of God. This is the promise to you, all who are listening. God wants to give you a house. You have the house. Jesus is the house. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the dwelling place that we're longing for. And you know what? We have him. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you're the home 
you're the house, you're the dwelling place. We thank you, God, that what we're longing for is you, your presence, stability with you. God, we just pray, would we rest in this promise that you've given us this morning, that the true home that we ache for is found in you. And so we just pray, Holy Spirit, would you be giving us assurance and um, a sense of rest in this promise? We pray where there is anxiety in our lives about this, we pray it would flee in Jesus' name. We pray for victory in this area, that we would not be stressed and worried, God. Lord, we thank you for this invitation you give us to do not worry about our lives. And we just pray, God, this church would be a church of peace and rest. And so we just pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and bring a peace that transcends all understanding right now in this room? We just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and and reassure us and come alongside us. We thank you for your promise to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.